Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. says, and we know that God causes all things, somebody say all things, somebody say it again, say all things, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. Somebody say called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Somebody say justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Somebody say glorified. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, it's all a part of the plan. Amen. And we know that all things work together. For the good of those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's all a part of the plan. Amen. I've often asked the question, if God really loves me, if he really has a wonderful plan for my life. And why do I have to deal with so frequently all of the hell that I have to deal with? If, if, if God really loves me, I know everyone's not going to be honest. You're going to act like you and God have the best relationship in the world and you never question his concern for you. But sometimes the question on my mind, Brother Herman, is if you really love me, God, why do you allow me to deal with everything that I have to deal with. And I know everyone's not going to tell the truth, but is there anybody here that can agree with me and testify that 2020 has made you question at points the intention of God, not the character of God. Yeah, I don't question whether or not God is good. I question and I'm questioning whether or not God is being good to me. Yeah, because I can see him blessing other people. I can see him providing for other folk. I can see other people acquiring property and in good health and doing the things that they want to do this year. Some people are breezing through 2020, but if you would be honest, you've been fighting tooth and nail not to get consumed by the hell and the high water that is flooding your life right now. And you want to ask God, if you really love me, then why are you letting things happen the way you're letting things happen. Is there anybody here that can be honest and say this year you've had to deal with stuff that didn't even make sense? I mean, I understand some coronavirus stuff. I understand some job difficulty stuff, but there have been issues in my relationships, issues in my mind, things that have been happening on my job and my professional sphere that I thought I'd never have to deal with. It doesn't even make sense. I don't bother anybody. I don't talk crazy to anybody. I leave everyone alone, but for some reason, I keep having to deal with pain and with problems 
problems and with haters and with stress and with people running my name through the mud, people misinterpreting my attitude and my intentions. And I know that people say that we're not supposed to feel this way, but have you ever looked at your life and wanted to ask God why? God, God, why? Why are you letting it happen to me? God, why are you allowing it to afflict me? God, why are you allowing me to deal with this pain and lift this pressure and deal with the weight of these problems in my life? God, why are you allowing my family members to get sick and then for my finances to falter? God, why are you allowing my faith to be challenged when people around me who don't serve you are having all of their needs met and it seems like I've got to rob Peter to pay Paul and then rob Paul to give James something else. I've got to move stuff around in ways that seem to be ungodly because I don't know how I'm going to manage the mess of my life. I feel like I need to tithe but I don't have the faith to trust you with any more money than I've been giving you because stuff is tight all around God and I'm trying to figure out if you love me. If you care about me. If your intentions towards me are good, why are you allowing these things to happen in my life? And the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how you want to slice it, no matter how you want to look at it, our lives are full of drama and despair, of trial and tribulation, of hell and high water. But in spite of the recurring problems of our lives, the beauty of our existence is simply this. God is in control. Yeah, yeah, I know it doesn't look like that's something to shout over, but in spite of the hell that you've had to deal with, the problems that keep you up at night, the anxiety that tries to bother your soul and keeps you stuck in motion, keeps you stuck and frozen, unable to go into motion to the left or to the right because you're scared of making the wrong decision. The beauty of our lives is that even though things may be out of our control, they're never out of God's control. And if God is in control, there is nothing that I've gone through, am going through, or will go through that God has not either, check this out, ordained or God has allowed. God help me. Either if you're going through it, God has either ordained it, meaning he has orchestrated it, he has put that thing together, he's planned it, or if he hasn't planned it, he's purposed it. God help me. He's allowed it to happen. And when God ordains it, or if God allows it, it's because he loves you. And when God lets stuff happen to you it's only happening because God is going to make his plan fulfilled in your life God help me God is using the adversity that you've had to advance through and he's taking it and shaping you into the object of his design as a matter of fact the struggles of your life beloved were not in vain but God let them happen to make you better God help me the struggles that you went through the things that you look back over your life and say I wish I hadn't have done that I wish that hadn't happened to me. I wish that I hadn't made those decisions. I wish that they hadn't abused me. I wish that they hadn't taken advantage of me. I wish that they hadn't talked about me and ran my name through the mud and tried to disgrace my reputation. I really wish that that had not happened to me. But when you look back over your life and you interpret your struggle through the lens of the gospel, you got to understand that your struggles taught you some things. God, help me. Oh, God. Number one, your struggles taught you about yourself. Yeah. Uh, the struggles that you went through 
taught you about you. Because some of us went into our struggles thinking that we were holy, God help me. Thinking that we were high and mighty. Thinking that we were strong. Thinking we were better than other people. But then God then sent you through a storm. And when you went through that storm, that storm caused you to confront the reality that you didn't really have it together like you thought you had. You would look down your nose at people in the past because you thought you had more Holy Ghost than them. You thought you were stronger than them. You thought that they were weak and you were mighty and you judged them because of what they didn't have but then God sent you through something that humbled you and caused you to realize that you don't have it together the way you think you have it. Your storms and your struggles taught you about yourself. Oh God, it taught you that you weren't as strong as you were as you thought you were some of you but then your struggles taught some of you that you're stronger than you believed yourself to be uh, because you went through some storms that took some other people out storms that you said yourself if I go through this I won't survive it if this happens to me I'll be bitter for the rest of my life if somebody else say this to me I think I'm gonna lose it I'm gonna catch a case this I'm not gonna go through this no more I can't deal with it but God allowed you to go through with it and when you went through with it you found out that you were stronger than you believed yourself to be but not only did we find out about our weakness through our struggles not only do we find out about our strength in our struggles but we also beloved find out about the faithfulness of an almighty God because it is the struggles of life that allow you to experience how faithful and how good God is when God takes you through a storm and when God sees you through a circumstance and when God opens up doors for you and brings you out of stuff that you thought you weren't going to be able to come out of when God does that for you beloved you're able to testify that you serve a faithful God oh God God so then uh, no matter how random your problems feel uh, no matter how hard they might look no matter how out of nowhere uh, your struggles seem to appear beloved you got to know that God is using those for your benefit yeah it's, it's a part of God's plan for, for your ultimate perfection yeah and that's what, what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 8 Paul is writing to the church at Rome from Corinth during his second his second missionary journey and he is being confronted with the reality that he may not ever get to preach in Rome because uh, the neuronic persecution has just begun Christians are being killed all over the Roman Empire you've got to read up on your history and you'll find out that Rome caught on fire and uh, it is speculated now historically that the Emperor Nero uh, was having a wild party in one of his homes and that fire was started by the emperor but in order to take the political pressure off of himself history tells us that Nero blamed the fire that burned Rome on the Christians and so because the, the fire had been burned on the Christians uh, the destruction of the city and the economic downturn that happened subsequently was blamed on the church and the church began to be persecuted and so now Paul is in jail he understands that the likelihood of him making it to Rome is slim to none because he might be killed during the persecution and so because he may not get to Rome the Bible tells us that Paul picks up pen and parchment and, be parchment and begins to write a letter to the church at Rome and in Romans Paul because he may not ever get to preach to them in person Maya he gives them the fullest explanation of his theology as a matter of fact many theologians jokingly call Romans the gospel according to Paul because Paul takes us through the story of creation 
completion, fall, redemption, and consummation. And so Paul writes this letter to give them an assurance of the gospel or to give them an assurance rather of the hope they shared because of the gospel, because they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And when we get to chapter 8, Paul is talking to them about the heavenly hope. He's telling them, look, you're going through pain and you're going through problems, but you got to understand that everything that you're going through is working out for your good. Either it's going to work out for your good on this side or it's going to work out for your good on the other side. One way or another, it's not going to end this way. Things are going to get better. As a matter of fact, he stops in verse 18 and says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed in us. He says, look, God is up to something. In the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your tears, in the midst of your pain, God is up to something. As a matter of fact, just encourage somebody and tell them God is up to something. Yeah. In the midst of what you're going through, God is up to something. He's working something out on your behalf and you can't see it yet. But Paul tells them, don't fit, don't faint, don't quit, don't throw in the towel. He says, God has got something going working for you rather behind the scenes in other words Paul is saying that the pain that the church is going through is nothing compared to the glorious things that God is about to do in their lives but then Paul goes on to say that not only does God have something prepared for us on the other side of our pain because I think we like to rush to that right we like to rush through the process and shout about what God is going to do on the other side. Yeah, we, we, we want to escape the pain, right? We want to shout over, Kenny, it won't always be like this. We want to shout over when you get out of this, when you come out of this, it's going to be better. But by doing that, beloved, I believe we neglect the beauty of the fact that God does not have to wait until the end of the process to bless us. But God is able to bless us in the middle of the process. God help me. Uh, this is why Paul says, he's like, I know uh, just a few verses ago, Paul's talking in verse 26. He says, I know that I just got done shouting you eight verses ago about the other side of your pain. He said, but lest I be reticent as, as a leader, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got to let you know that God doesn't have to wait until you come out of it to bless you. God help me. God doesn't have to get glory on the other side of it, but God is so great and he is so good and he is so massive and his power is so unsearchable that he's able to get glory not at the end but in the middle of it God help me oh this is what he says he says look here he says I need I need you to understand he's like you got to understand that this affliction God help me uh, is working for you good and I know Christians you want to come out on the other side because persecution is hard persecution is difficult persecution makes you want to cry and give up it doesn't lend itself to corporate worship because if you've been persecuted Monday through Saturday you don't want to get up early on Sunday it makes it difficult God help me for you to go through life but Paul says you want it to be over but you got to understand that not just the good things God help me all things work together God help me uh, for the good of them who love God uh, and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, he says, and you while you're going through it, Stanley, you may not even know how to pray right. 
It says, while, while you're dealing with this problem, verse 26, I jumped ahead, verse 26. He said, while you're going through this Koreana, you may not even know how to pray. Because when your emotions get involved, your emotions cause you to ask God for stuff that your body and your flesh and your emotions want, but your spirit may not need. Pain will make you pray for crazy stuff. Make you pray for a relationship to survive that God said need to be over. Make you pray for a promotion on a job that God told you to walk away from. Make you pray for friends to stay that God is trying to disconnect you from. Pain will mess up your ability to pray right. But verse 26 gives us hope for when our pain makes it difficult for us to pray. He says, likewise, God help me here. The spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself, God help me, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when I'm agitated in my flesh and I'm praying for the wrong thing, the Holy Ghost is over-talking me in heaven. He's speaking over me saying, God, you hear what they are saying, but this is what they really need. God, you hear what's coming out of her mouth. You hear what he's saying, but that's not really what he wants. This is really what he wants. He, he wants to be conformed to the image of your son. He's just tired of hurting. He doesn't really want you to leave him alone. He doesn't really want you to take your hand off of him. He's talking crazy right now, God. But God, I'm interceding for him because I understand what he wants. God help me more than he understands what he wants God says I'll help you I'll help you pray yeah he says I don't even know what to pray for Paul says but he said the spirit also helps in our weakness because the spirit himself God help me <laughs> uh, notice notice now he says uh, uh, the spirit himself it is Honumatos in the, in the Greek. It is the spirit. It is not a spirit. It is ho, the pneumatos spirit. It is the spirit. Meaning he's saying that the one I'm praying to is also the one I'm praying through. God help me. Yeah, the, yeah that, that, that the person interpreting my intention is also the person that I'm talking to. That there is not a third person interpreter. Yeah, I'm not speaking to you and expecting you to interpret to God what I need. I am literally speaking to God for myself. And the heart of God, which is the spirit of God, interprets my utterings to himself. Meaning God says, when I'm trying to understand you, I'm cutting out the middle man. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking directly to you. I'm seeing into your heart because if the Holy Ghost is on the inside of you and the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God, then God is literally talking to himself about you. Yeah. He's not allowing anybody to get in between and cloud it. So, so, so God is not asking your haters about advice on you before he decides to bless you. Yeah. Aren't you glad... Uh, I want to insert this parenthetically. It's not in my notes. But aren't you glad that God doesn't do reference checks? Yeah. 
before he blesses you. Uh, that, that God does not call the people who knew you and the people who you used to kick it with and, and the people who don't like you. God doesn't have board meetings to decide whether or not he's going to bless you. But he picks you out just because he loves you. He don't even know why he loves you. He just sees something in you that makes his heart leap. And because he sees something in you that makes his heart leap, he blesses you even though you don't deserve it. And some of us have been crazy enough to get caught up in the sauce like we deserve to be blessed. But the reality is I don't deserve anything I have everything that I got I got by the favor of God it's because God was looking out for me when I didn't have the sense to look out for myself so then we get to verse 28 and I'm done I got to quit it says and we know that God causes yeah all things to work together for the good of those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is telling the Romans and he's telling us that the plan of God is to take the good circumstances of my life. We're okay with that. But then it's also to take the bad circumstances of my life. And God is bringing them together. He is synergistically, the Greek word is sunigeo. He is synergistically causing them to work together for my good. He's taking things that normally don't mix. Things that are not normally complementary goods and he'll mix them together weave them into the fabric of my life and he'll cause them to work together for my good but it's not randomized I, I want you to get this Paul we, 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 we often quote this scripture to explain and soothe us when life's circumstances seem random to us right when something hits us that we don't see coming we quote this scripture and say all things work together as if God is surprised and he got to use it right like, like, like God has to take a lemon that he wasn't expecting to have and he has to make lemonade in our life and, and it's not just it's not just here where we import our humanness onto God. It's also in Genesis 50. When Joseph looks at his brothers and say, you meant it for evil. And we'll say he turned it for good. And nobody will ever question that. Right? Because we can shout off of he turned it. The devil thought he had me. Like we, we, can, we can shout off of he turned it. But the Bible does not say that God turned it. It does not say he'll make it good. It says that God meant it from the outset for your good. That even though it did not feel good to you, it was in the intention of God for them to betray you, 
for them to malign you, for them to talk about your family, for them to tear you down, for them to betray you, for them to cheat on you, for them to talk you out of your money, for them to take advantage of you. That was all a part of God's plan. Yeah. God planned it that way. There is nothing that is happening in your life that God was not aware of before it happens. Your free will does not override the omniscience of God. God knows everything that's about to happen to you before it happens and if he wanted to stop it he would have stopped it but if he didn't stop it that means that he planned to use it to make you into the person the man or the woman of God that he's calling you to be God says everything you went through is a part of the plan I am not incorporating it into the fabric of my plan it was intended from the beginning God help me. This is where you have to grow up now as a believer. And you have to understand that God then does not just send good circumstances into the lives of his children. But just like the Harlem Renaissance poet said, into each life a little rain must fall. God says, I can't just give you sun. Because if I give you too much sun, you'll dry up. But I can't just let it rain, Chelsea, because if I just let it rain, you'll drown. But I've got to put the perfect mixture of good days in bad days. Good days so that you can know I love you when you don't deserve to be loved. And then bad days so I can use them to chastise you and mold you into who it is I'm trying to make you. I, I need good days so that you can know I'm going to be with you and that I'll provide for you and that I'll never forsake you. But then I need bad days to put your devotion to the test because everybody loves the sunshine. But can you handle the rain? So the rain then is a part of God's plan. Yeah, that's what the text says. Verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed whew, to the image of his son. It's, it, that, that, that word conformed, Laurel, is an interesting word in the original language. It literally means to be squeezed, to be pressed. He's saying, to be conformed, it means I'm being pressed into the image of his son. Just like the cookie dough is shaped by the cookie cutter. Just like you have to pour the, the muffin mix into the muffin pan and it is shaped in that pan to get the perfect shape. Uh, uh, Paul says he called us to be conformed into the image of his son. And there is nothing comfortable about being conformed. Conforming is uncomfortable. Yeah. It is not comfortable to be conformed. That's why Paul says, just a few chapters after this, he says if you're going to be conformed to something, it's better to be conformed to God, uh, but don't be conformed to this world. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying that, that, that the process has been preordained to help you become like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he says, because whom he foreknew, he also 
predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be conformed to the image of his son so that his son may be the firstborn uh, among many brethren. Can I explain to you why, is, why it is important for you, beloved, to not just be saved by grace, but to be sanctified, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It is important for you to be conformed. Here's some theology for you. It's important for you to be conformed into the image of Christ so that when you stand before God, God does not see you he sees his son you are living in that reality now through the blood of Jesus but there is, an, there is a process of salvation you are saved and you are being saved you are already but you're also not yet you're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so you have what is static justification. Jesus saves you and you are saved. But over the course of your life, God uses the circumstances, the good and the bad and the lessons of life to make you more like Jesus so that when you stand before God in that last day, God does not see you. He sees someone who is like his son. God does not have mercy on you because of you. God has mercy on you because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And it is the job of the Holy Ghost to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. This is why, beloved, you need to be filled with the Spirit. It is not some Pentecostal jibber-jabber or mindless enthusiasm. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost because it is the Holy Ghost that allows the circumstances of your life to be interpreted spiritually in such a way that they benefit you and don't break you. That's what the Holy Ghost does. The Holy Ghost allows you to take things that will make other people crumble and you're able to look at them and say, but I still got my mind. I, I, still, I, I still got my life. God, use this to make me better. The Holy Ghost is used to help you interpret the pain of life and to take that pain and conform you into the image of God. I stayed there too long. It says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. But then secondly, he says, moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Meaning that I've got a calling on my life. I've, God has called me and when God calls me he don't call me for no reason sometimes I, 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 I'll irritate my daughter on purpose my daughter is so kind she's the first child I've ever met that gets awards at school for being kind never seen anything like that in my life I didn't even know they did that but they'll give her like a little feather and she, for being kind and uh, she'll come home and say I got a feather. I got to go in the treasure box. I'm like, what did you do? She was like, I was kind. You know? But I like to irritate her. Uh, and I just want to see, uh, Lolo, if I can get her to her breaking point where she just snap a little bit, you know? And then I'll go, Daniel, pardon me, you know? But uh, I, I wait. I try to, so I'm like, Tamia, come here. I'll call her, and she'll come, and she'll say, yes, Daddy? And I'll be like, uh, never mind, I forgot. Then she'll leave out, go all the way back down to her room. And I'll say, Tamia, she'll come. Yes, Daddy? And uh, I'll be like, uh, 
I forgot. Sorry. Then she'll go back down the road. Tamia! Tamia, Tamia! She'll come back. Yes, Daddy? I'm like, I forgot. Well, I'm going to wait this time because I don't want to go back down the hall. And you don't know what you want. Because I'm calling her, check this out, for no reason. I'm calling her, but there is no intentionality behind my call. But God says, when I call you, I'm not calling you for no reason. God says, when I call you, you're not going to be disappointed in the call. He says, so for whom he's predestined, check this out, I've also called. And if I've called, that means I've got something for you. God, help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know who needs to know this. But God did not call you for no reason. You're wondering why you're still serving God. Why you're still trying to be obedient. Why you're still trying to live right. Why you're still trying to be committed. It seems as if the call was for no reason. But God's not playing with you like I play with my kids. God is a good, good father. God says, I called you and I've got a purpose for you. And you can't allow the pain of the present to make you doubt that I've got purpose for you. It says, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, right? But then verse 30, again, he says, moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, whom he called, these he also justified. Yeah. These whom he called, he also justified. Yeah. These whom he called, he also Justified. Notice then by way of the text, he does not call justified people. He calls them and then he justifies them. Almost as if the calling is what does the justification. Now in our carnal Christianity and our self-righteousness, we try to act as if people got to be justified before they can be called. They've got to be right before they can be used. They've got to have themselves together before they can be gathered into the house of God. But God says, I don't call the qualified, but I qualify the called. It is my calling that makes you worth it. It is my calling that makes you valuable. It is my calling that makes you justified. Yeah, he says, whom he called, these he justified. Yeah. He doesn't want me, Cedric, because I'm right. I'm right because he wants me. God, help me. Yeah. He, he doesn't want me because I'm good enough. God, help me. I'm good enough because he chose me. God, help me. That, that should shout somebody in the room today that's been struggling with your self-worth and your self-esteem and looking at your value, wondering if you were good enough. God says you are good enough, but not because there is good enough in you. You're good enough because I said you're good enough. I, I picked you and it is my qualification. It is my scorecard. It is my timesheet that matters. I'm the one that is keeping track of how valuable you are. When God says, I called you, not because you're right, but you're right because I called you. I don't call the qualified. I qualify the call. Yeah. He says, those whom he called, it was these. He justified. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, I, if he called me, I'm a part of the correct. <laughs> I'm correct because he called me. Y'all hear me? Yeah, we, we try to correct people before they've been called. Yeah. And that's why we have no authority. 
I tell pastors, I, I, I don't know who started this trend, Jay, of, uh, uh, of, of fussing at folk over the pulpit and, 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 and being crazy with people in the middle of service. But I told a young pastor the other day, I said, hey, we got to end that in our generation because the reality is uh, you're abusing uh, spiritual authority that you really ain't got. That's why uh, you try to correct somebody openly and it tear your church up because you don't have the authority that is gained through love and pastoral care. Now, in my church, I rarely do that. So if I have to do something like that in my church, then it's, it's people understand that probably needed to happen. There probably was no other way to stop that train wreck from happening. But people have begun to do things that they don't have the spiritual authority to do. And God says that we've got to become better as leaders about doing things because we don't have authority. He says, God is the one that justifies. Yeah. Okay. So then Paul says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And then here's the final part. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Yeah. Can, can I help you? Uh, theologically, it's, it's, it's beautiful because in these 20, 20, 29 and 30, verse 29 and 30, Paul gives us a microchasm or a small picture of the work of salvation. Yeah. He says predestined. Yeah. Then called. Then justified. Then glorified. So that's how salvation works. Predestination. God picks you. Yeah. God picks you before the foundation of the world. Before you got a body to sin with. Before you got a mind to think evil thoughts with. God chooses you. Not because of anything in you. But because of something in himself that loves you. He chooses you. And if God does not choose you based on your qualifications. He will not unchoose you based on your disqualification. Yeah. He says he predestines. Yeah. But then he says after he predestines, he lets you walk around in foolishness for a little bit. But once it's time for him to get you, he's going to get you and he calls you. Yeah. And some of us know what that's like to be called. You wasn't thinking about God. You were living your best life. Yeah. Uh, God wasn't lost. You were lost. But he came looking for you. Matter of fact, the old saints used to say, I went to a meeting one night and my heart wasn't right, but something got a hold, a hold of me, because after he predestines, he calls, but when he calls, he awakens in you a knowledge of your own sinfulness, and your filthiness, and your unworthiness to walk before him, so after he calls you, he has to clean you, so once he calls you, he justifies, and then you live in the power of that justification, being conformed into the image of his son, until you get to heaven, and you are glorified. Yeah, when you get to heaven, there's no more disease, no more doctors, no more pain, no more death, no more debt, no more worry, no more anxiety, no more haters, no more trouble. You are glorified. Okay? Uh, so then this is what Paul says. He's saying it's all a part of the plan. Because no matter how jacked up my life is, 
God is determined to get the glory out of me. Yeah. Not just out of my life. Because I believe that some way or another, God gets the glory out of every life. If it is a life that honors him, he gets the glory out of that. If it is a life that does not honor him, then we're able to point to that life and see the fruit of disobedience and dishonor. And God gets the glory out of that. So I believe that ultimately God gets the glory out of every life. But he doesn't say God is going to get the glory out of your life. He said God is going to get the glory out of you. Meaning that there is going to be something that comes out of you that makes God look better. Yeah, there's going to be something that is produced. Hear me clearly. It is going to be something produced from you that makes God look good. This is important because many of us think that God can't be or God cannot use us in that way for his glory. But God says if you belong to me, that I am determined to produce something in you that makes people look at me and give me glory. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, he's saying that I'm going to work something out in you that blesses the nations and makes them look at me and say, he's a mighty good God. Yeah, that, that's, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he justified. And those who he justified, he didn't just ju glorify their lives. You hear what I'm saying? He glorified them. And I know we don't teach this theologically right, but you got to understand, God wants to glorify you. So that when you are glorified, you can glorify him. God wants to elevate you so that you can have a larger platform to lift him up. And the reason why many of us are missing our opportunity to be elevated is because God can't trust us with the spotlight. Because when we get the spotlight, we want to write a book and we want to hold a class and we want to have a seminar. We don't want to give God glory first. Want to host a conference and tell people all of our ways that we got big and all the ways that we did what we did. But God says, I'm giving you a platform, not just so that you can be great. I'm giving you a platform so that God, so that when you are blown up and when people ask you how you did it, you can say, I did it. This is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. This, this, is, the, this is the promise, Genesis 10, that he makes to Abram. He says, and I will in blessing you surely bless thee. And I will make thy name great. He says, and in you shall all the peoples of the earth be blessed. He promises Kobe to make Abraham major. I'm going to make you famous. But I'm making you famous not for your sake. I'm making you famous, Abraham. Because you got a great, 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 great grandson named Moses that's coming. That has a calling on his life. And I'm going to need to identify myself to Moses. But ain't nobody ever seen me before. So when I introduce myself to Moses, I introduce myself not as God, Yahweh, El Shaddai. 
I introduced myself to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because you may not know me, but I made Abraham famous. God, help me. I glorified him. So you don't know me, but you know Abraham. I'm the God that made Abraham great. And in case you didn't think that Abraham was great, his son Isaac was greater than he. I'm the God of Isaac. And Isaac may be too far back in your history through the litany of the pages of your genealogy for you to remember Abraham and Isaac, but I know you remember your great-grandpa, Jacob. So not only am I the God of Abraham and Isaac, but I'm also the God of Jacob. God uses the great things that he's done in the lives of others to make him identifiable to the next generation of people, y'all don't hear me, that he wants to use. And so the reason why God has to glorify you is because there is somebody coming after you that won't know God, but you'll be the biggest representation of God that they've ever seen. God, help me. They'll say, you may not know me. Oh, Lord, have mercy, but you know Kobe. I'm the God of Kobe that lifted her up out of depression, that freed her heart from despair. I feel like preaching. Now, let's have church for a moment. You may not know me. Oh, God, but you know Joshua Eggerson. I'm the God that lifted him up out of sickness. I'm the God that lifted him up from heart failure. I'm the God that healed Felicia from cancer. You may not know me. God, help me. Is there anybody here that's glad you serve a name-dropping God? God wants to glorify you so that he can drop your name. God wants to glorify you so that he can drop your name. Look at somebody and tell them, neighbor, the God we serve is a name dropper. He's getting ready to drop your name in front of your haters, in front of your enemies. God is about to drop your name. Tell somebody, say neighbor. God is getting ready to drop your name. He's going to tell your haters, I'm the God of that woman that you talked about all last year when she was struggling, dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, dealing with pressure that she couldn't handle by herself. God is going to tell somebody, I'm the God of that woman who you counted out. I'm the God that lifted her up. Tell, tell your name. God is getting ready to drop your name. He's going to tell your haters, I'm the God of that man whom you said it was over. You said it was through. You said that his marriage had fallen apart and that he was no good to anybody. But God said, when I tell your story and I drop your name, I'm going to tell somebody I am the God that took the broken pieces of his life and put them back together again. Look at your name and say, neighbor, God is getting ready.
daddy to glorify so that he can drop your name look at your name and say neighbor I've been predestined neighbor I've been called neighbor I've been justified he's picked me up my feet on solid ground won't he do it yes he will he's a justified me but tell him neighbor I'm getting ready to be glorified yes glorified glorified he's getting ready to take me up higher Look at somebody and say, neighbor, it might not feel good while it's working, but it's working for your good. He's using it, yes, God, to make you better than you were before. Tell somebody he's using it. of your life. He's adding it to your life story. Yes, God. Is there anybody here? Yes, Lord. That knows that I got a story to tell. Yes, Lord. Is there anybody here that can say that's my story? Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened. Happened to me. He saw me through every storm in my life. He lifted me up. He picked me up. He healed me. He healed my body every time. I needed a Lord. He healed me when I thought I was weak and I was running out of power. He strengthened me. Sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply. Same within, I was sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, he heard it. My despairing cry, but from the water. anybody here that's glad to know I don't preach myself happy here that's glad to know yes God I'm glad that he's taking the circumstances and he's turning him I'm sorry he's not turning him because you devil meant it for evil but God but God Tell 
testify just a little bit. Yesterday was my wife's birthday, and I had gotten sad on a birthday because not that long ago we had got a questionable report from the doctor, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And I said, God, how can we celebrate a birthday while we're looking at death in the face? How can we celebrate life going on when it seems like life could be over? And the Lord said, if you celebrate like you're glad she's alive, I want you to know that I'll sustain life evermore. And that's what I wanted to tell you. Baby, I just got word that this ain't the last birthday, but 31 is on the way. Yeah. 
show. But don't wait until the battle is over. But shout before he shows up. Shout now. Shout now. Why am I shouting now? Because I know in the end who's going to win. Victory shall be mine. Victory shall be mine. If I hold my peace and let the law fight my battles. Victory. It shall be mine. It's mine. So shout like you already got it. Give them a praise like you already got it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Open up your mouth and give them a praise. Give them a praise. Give them a me off. 